Well, this morning, we continue on through this series of messages that I am calling All In, talking about this life of faith that we live together. And today, we're looking at a story that is, I trust, familiar. story that I would trust everybody knows and has heard. Even if you've never been to church before, you know and have heard something about David and Goliath, right? And David, this boy who defeats the giant Goliath with nothing but a slingshot and a stone. I want us to look at that story as a story that that reminds us of how our faith works in certain ways. And it's a longer story. So even though we all know it, and I might not even have to read it, there's so much detail packed into this story that is significant. So I want to highlight that today. So, so today we are reading a bit more than usual. I know usually that when I, I preach a message, it's, it's a few verses that fit in the print of your bulletin. There's nothing printed there today because it didn't fit. There's 50 verses that we're going to read. What you do have in your bulletin is a page reference, so if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles in the chairs, you can, but it will be on the screen here as well. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I'm going to read through the 50 verses of this story so that we can see and highlight the features that really come out of this story, okay? This comes from 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read the first 50 verses. It says this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoh in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sokoh and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Uh, In Hebrew, that's just over nine feet tall. However, in the Greek Septuagint version of this, it's six foot nine. So take your pick. The point is, he had a very intimidating physical stature. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man to have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. 
The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse had said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He keeps coming out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give to him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told them, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go fight against this Philistine. Fight him. You're just a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. 
because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. When he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So there was half of the message right there. Right, I used some time for this, but we're going to pull some features out of this story. This story that I trust is familiar to everyone, but hopefully that we've taken some time to read it in its entirety again today, we can see some of the features that pull out of this that instruct us towards a life of faith and what that means. You can find books in Christian bookstores that talk about David and Goliath. Well, at least they use the David and Goliath theme as sort of the image or metaphor for whatever the author is writing about, right? Books like Facing Your Giants, which is by Max Lucado, or Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio, or Slaying the Giants in Your Life by David Jeremiah. You can find those books out there, and, and they all speak something to a life of faith using the image of David and Goliath as sort of the metaphor for how that works. So let's examine that. It seems like this is one of those stories we ought to look at when we're talking about faith and how to live with faith and what a life of faith looks like. But there are features here, features in this story that make its meaning more obvious to us when we see it. I read 50 verses out of this chapter, but of course there, there's more context surrounding that. It seems in this story that, if you were to keep on reading, that, that Saul and David didn't know each other before this moment, right? Because towards the end, after verse 50, he asked the question after David had killed Goliath, 
who is that kid anyway? Right? Where does he come from that he did this? As though he had never met David before. But if you back up one chapter to 1 Samuel 16, David is already playing his harp and playing music in Saul's court for him. They'd already met. So what's going on here? I, the, the chronology of how David and Saul seem to work out between them gets a bit mixed up in 1 Samuel. Or is there a reason for it? A reason that I tend to agree with biblical scholars that this is an example of what we would call narrative overlap. There's narrative overlap going on here where there are events being woven together that the exact chronology of how things go are not the important part, right? The important part then becomes some of the other details that come out of the story. Some of the details and features that are highlighted here. Chronology is not necessarily the important part of this. So what is important? What are those features that come out of this story that we see? Well, one of the features that I think we see that comes out of this story again and again is the weakness of the Israelites. The weakness of the Israelites. This champion Saul, or champion Goliath, comes out and, and he taunts the armies of Israel. And a few times in the passage, you hear the author say, And Israel was scared, afraid, terrified. And Saul, too. King Saul, their leader as well, is terrified, does not dare go down there. After all, Goliath is a menacing presence. And even though we refer to him as a giant, and if you were to take the Hebrew analogy of what six cubits means, would in fact be a giant, although the Greek has a different height for that, right? The, the point there that Goliath was a menacing physical structure, that he came before them and he struck fear into their hearts. So Goliath comes that way as this champion, someone to be dealt with, someone who, when they looked at him, they said, you know what, in a one-to-one, hand-to-hand combat, no one can take this guy down. He can't be beat. No one here can do that. So that's the first thing that we see as a feature. They're all terrified and no one's going to face him. They all back away. The second thing that get some unusual prominence in this passage is the details about the armor of Goliath. Look at all the detail in there about all the armor that he's wearing. Right? I'm, and in, in this day and age, for when this battle takes place, this would have been like the Iron Man suit that he had, right? That he had all the latest tech on his side. That he had the laser-guided smart bombs and, and the satellite drones and anything that was needed there. He had the military advantage. By far the military advantage. That's what the detail is telling us. This guy had everything to wipe out his enemies. No one could come against him. And on the other side of that, David comes with his shepherd things, right? Uh, the equivalent of one of those potato shooters you make out of spare PVC pipe. You've seen those things, right? Or a catapult that throws a pumpkin, one of those. Something that's a toy, but is used by a shepherd. It's not a matchup. 
So the detail is there. That detail is there to tell us that no one can beat Goliath. He can't be beat. No one can conquer him. And then there is this unusual amount of time given to what I'm going to call symbolic representation of the battle, right? Symbolic representation of the battle. It starts with this, that even though the armies are all lined up there and you had armies on both sides, Goliath comes out and he represents the entire army of the Philistines, one person. And he's calling out for one person to represent the entire army of Israel, that they symbolically represent the entire forces. But then as the dialogue continues, right, the the talking back and forth between David and Goliath, you find out that this symbolic representation actually goes one step further. It's not just one soldier against one soldier, but they are making this a battle between one God against another God. That the symbolic representation of the battle is not about how strong are your armies or how strong is your one champion you put out there, but really this is a battle about how strong is your God, right? That's a feature that's being pulled out of this through these words back and forth between David and Goliath. So that we, the readers, are certain of that. That this is really a battle between the Lord and the pagan god of the Philistines. And it comes down to that. And by all accounts, from what we see, the Philistines have every advantage. They have all the military power on their side. And by all accounts of what we see, when David comes out there, there's no advantage at all. He's just a kid with a bag of stones. And that's how the battle comes to us. That's how it comes together. And the rest is history. We know the story. We've heard it. That David, with a slingshot and a stone, takes down the champion, Goliath. So we walk away from that and consider this story as something that instructs us about a life of faith. What do we take from that? Uh, What does this tell us about living with faith that follows God? How can we take that and say, how can we be people who have that kind of faith, right? The kind of faith that can face giants. The kind of faith that can take down an overwhelming threat of evil that comes at us in this world. How do we do that? And here's the answer. You can't. We can't do that. We cannot have a faith that allows us to do what David did. I think this story intentionally highlights that for us. That we can't do that. Consider it that in this story... You and I, the readers, we fit the role of Saul and the Israelites. That we are the ones gathered there, and when we see the menacing evil approach us, we are the ones who pull back, who say, you know what, I'm too weak. I can't face this one. I can't overcome this. 
I can't do anything about this. That's our place in the story. We're not David. It's never meant to be that way for us. You know, I mentioned something of the narrative overlap that goes on here, that, that the details that take place in 1 Samuel 16 really chrono- chronologically overlap with what takes place here in chapter 17. What happens in chapter 16 is this, that it starts out with the prophet Samuel going to the house of Jesse, finding all of his sons and going on down the line, getting to the last one. And and finally, the youngest, David, anoint that one. That one's going to be the next king. So David is anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel. He's the anointed one. That's a detail that overlaps with this story. The anointed one. Do you know what the Hebrew word for anointed one is? Messiah. It's the Hebrew word Messiah. That literally means the anointed one. David comes onto this battle scene as the Messiah. The one anointed by God to come and save his people in a battle that they could never win. They can't do it. So God sends a Messiah to step in and fight that battle for them, to win that one. David steps in and wins the battle that they never could, and then God's people can rise up. It's not by accident, then, that this story takes place the way that it is, because it's entirely intentional, even though... You know, when it happened back then, they had nothing of knowing what was coming in the New Testament, but that's where it all points. It all points to Jesus. Everything about this story points us to Jesus, that God sends a Messiah, an anointed one, to fight the battle that we never could, to defeat the enemy that we could never defeat. Because we don't have it. We cannot overcome our own sin. We cannot overcome our own brokenness. So God sends the Messiah to do that. So what does this story tell us about a life of faith, right? It's not the lesson of David and Goliath that, you know, if you just believe enough, you can beat giants. If you just have faith that's strong enough, you can face any enemy and overcome that enemy. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story here is that the life of faith entirely depends on Jesus, right? The life of faith entirely depends on Jesus. That's the point out of this. I stopped reading at verse 50. If it were to go a little bit further on, you would see that as soon as David takes down Goliath, right, draws out Goliath's sword and cuts off Goliath's head, as he said he would do. As soon as that happens, the next thing is all the armies of the Israelites rise up and they chase the armies of the Philistines and they push him back. You see, the people of Israel, God's people are only, only able to step forward because the anointed one, the Messiah, won the battle they never could. Once David fights the battle they couldn't, then they can step forward and move. 
that's significant for us as well. That we have a faith that entirely depends upon Jesus, and that means that we can step with Jesus. That he has won the victory that we never could. But we now stand and rise and follow with him. But it all depends on Jesus. You know, David comes out and he steps into this scene, pushing away all the armor, pushing away all the weapons, right? The, that for David, this, this was not about going out there as a powerful warrior. What does he take? It says he takes his staff in one hand, his shepherd's staff, right? And his shepherd's bag and his shepherd's tools of a sling and some stones. He walks onto the scene as a shepherd. It's not about power. It's not about weapons. It's not about might. But intentionally, he walks out there as a Messiah who is a shepherd. That's instructive for us too, isn't it? that it points to Jesus in the way that Jesus comes, that when Jesus came to fight the battle that we could never fight, Jesus did not walk onto the scene either with power and with weapons. Jesus did not come to be an overwhelming force, but Jesus walked in as a shepherd, our shepherd. That Jesus walked in to display the way that he was going to win that battle that we can't in ways that seem defy all logic by being a shepherd. Jesus came then not as one who calls the powerful and calls the champions, but he came as one who calls the weak. He calls those who are defeated by this world, those who are scarred, those who have been beat down, that Jesus comes and calls those who need him most and says, I have taken on the battle and won the victory you never could. And we follow him. So a faith that we have then that entirely depends on Jesus follows Jesus. I like how the Heidelberg Catechism puts this in question 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And we'll close with this, right? Heidelberg Catechism, in talking about true faith, says this. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. It is also, note this, wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the Gospels. That God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace, granted solely by Christ's merit. Our life of faith entirely depends on Jesus, who has won the victory we never could and lifted us up to follow him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the reminder today that uh, yep, in those battles that feel overwhelming, that life has just beat us up and beat us down, God, remind us again that you have come to fight the battle that we can't and that we then step forward in faith 
not by our own power, not by our own might, but we step forward in a faith that always looks to you, always follows you, always needs you, our Messiah, our Savior. And we thank you that you have faithfully always been our Messiah, our Savior. Amen.